When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is True Crime Psychology and Personality, where we discuss the pathology behind some of the most horrific crimes and those who committed them from a scientifically informed perspective. I'm Dr. Todd Grande. I have a PhD in Counselor Education and Supervision, and I'm a licensed professional counselor of mental health. Dr. Todd Grande, that's my YouTube channel. Today's question is, can I analyze the case of Jeremy DeWitt? So I'll start with the background of Jeremy DeWitt, and then I'll move to my analysis. Jeremy DeWitt was born on February 10, 1980. He lived in Orlando, Florida. He has an extensive history of contact with law enforcement, including several arrests. Some of those resulted in convictions. He has been so active in this area that I find it difficult to believe that I've collected all the offenses, even from multiple sources. This guy just can't seem to stay out of trouble for a minute. I've included all of the arrests and convictions I could find in this timeline of events. Not everything in the timeline involves law enforcement, of course, but many items do. DeWitt was first arrested in 1998. He fueled his Dodge Shadow at a gas station. He had a large blue light in the dashboard and was wearing a gold badge on his belt. He handed the cashier a prepaid fuel card, which was denied. He told her he was a police officer, and he forgot his state gasoline card. The cashier allowed him to leave with the promise that he would return and pay the bill. He never did. He was arrested at his home not long after for impersonating a police officer and stealing $14.50 in gasoline. As far as I can tell, a few years later, he was sentenced to a year and 10 months for impersonating a police officer. It appears as though it was connected to this case. I don't think there were any arrests in between, but the sources don't specify. In 2004, he was charged with lewd or lascivious battery against a victim between the ages of 12 and 15. He was convicted and initially sentenced to a year in prison. In 2009, he violated probation and was given four more years. He was released in October of 2011. At some point, soon after his release, he married, there's not much information about that. He started a company that provided motor escorts for funerals. It was called Metro State Special Services. The vehicles that he and his employees operated looked a lot like police vehicles. DeWitt would drive to accident scenes and other places where the police had responded and then take pictures of his vehicles with the law enforcement vehicles in the same shot. In 2014, DeWitt tried to change his name his petition was denied by a judge. In 2018, he was charged with failing to register as a sex offender. He was convicted in 2019. In July of 2019, in Chicago, Illinois, he was charged with various offenses, including aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. All the charges were dropped. Later in 2019, he was charged with impersonating a police officer three separate times. I will go through these in more detail. 
looking at his arrest for impersonating an officer on September 7, 2019, we see that DeWitt was operating a motorcycle with flashing amber and purple lights, an air horn, and a siren. By law, when he's escorting a funeral, he was only permitted to have amber or purple lights, and no sirens are allowed. He was pulled over by the police when they saw him cross solid double yellow lines. During the stop, the police officer discovered the tags on the motorcycle indicated the vehicle was stolen. DeWitt would later claim that the police told him his motorcycle was not stolen. They admitted they made a mistake. During the confrontation with the police, DeWitt started pulling away from the officers. He was yelling, and he used his radio in his helmet to call for help. In addition, he was wearing clothes that looked similar to what the police wore. He had a badge, a bullet-resistant vest, and the words motor officer were affixed to his helmet. He was also wearing a vest that held equipment, like an unloaded BB gun, which did not have the orange tip as required by law, handcuffs, a baton, pepper spray, a radio, and two pocket knives. I get the impression that DeWitt had a very different understanding than most people of the risk involved escorting a funeral procession. It wouldn't take long for him to get in trouble again. On September 16, an off-duty officer saw a motorcycle holding up traffic in an intersection. As the motorcycle pulled away, a Chevy Tahoe, driven by DeWitt, pulled into the intersection and blocked traffic. The vehicle had flashing amber and purple lights. DeWitt climbed out of the vehicle and started directing traffic. As the off-duty officer drove by, DeWitt slapped the fender of the officer's vehicle with both hands and reached for his gun holster in a threatening manner, as opposed to reaching to it in a gentle and kind manner. The officer rolled down his window of his pickup truck, identified himself, and told DeWitt that what he was doing was illegal. DeWitt said to him, You cannot drive in and out of my funeral. It doesn't matter. Get out of my escort. DeWitt then used an expletive, followed by the word boy. The off-duty officer called 911. When the officer drove away, several Metro State vehicles followed him into a park. The police didn't arrest DeWitt at that time, but they did arrest one of his employees. The man was carrying a 9mm pistol. DeWitt would get in trouble again on September 26. This time, a female motorist called the police on him when he ordered her to move out of an intersection. DeWitt was arrested. His own body camera footage corroborated the woman's account. In this way, he really was doing the work of law enforcement. He produced the evidence that would ensure his own conviction. DeWitt has given various statements after several of his arrests. He said that he ran a business for 10 years with no problem and suggested it's confusing and disconcerting that he's having problems now. In 2020, we see a few more arrests. He was arrested for failing to properly register a vehicle in his wife's name. He had to do so because he was a sex offender. In November, he was charged with stalking. The charges were dropped. In December of 2020, he was charged with failing to register his out-of-state travel to Los Angeles, California. He had gone there to appear on the Dr. Phil show. DeWitt's attorney said that DeWitt maintains his innocence. As I understand it, at the time of making this video, DeWitt has several pending charges, several of which are felonies. Now moving to my analysis. I'm not aware of any mental health information being available about Jeremy DeWitt. I'll talk in a few moments about some of the common mental health disorders seen with police impersonators and so-called wannabe police officers in general. For the purposes of expediency, I will just refer to these people as impersonators. As far as personality, DeWitt appears to have 
low openness to experience, there is rigid thinking, low insight, he is not creative, we see low conscientiousness, taking risks and being impulsive, high extroversion, although he doesn't seem particularly friendly or outgoing, agreeableness is low, we see he's antagonistic, not modest, and distrusting, and neuroticism is probably higher than average. He seems angry, insecure, emotionally reactive, and he appears to have poor self-control. Now moving to the general mental health characteristics of impersonators. Here I am not referring to Jeremy DeWitt. I have no idea what's happening with him specifically. Rather, I'm talking in general terms about what I've seen in my clinical experience and what I've seen in the research literature. Police impersonators and wannabe police officers are almost always male. There are many types of impersonators. I'm going to focus on people who impersonate when there is no clear gain. So I'm not talking about people who dress up as police officers to commit a robbery or to kidnap a victim or something like that. I'm talking about people who do it because of some internal need. They enjoy the feeling of people believing they are police officers. Police impersonators are often fascinated with authority and domination. They like the idea that people will respect them. They are usually unable to get the respect through traditional means, like being helpful, productive, pro-social, or earning an education. They want to bypass all the traditional steps that somebody can use to advance one's career or social standing. They view police work as exactly that. Here's an industry where, from their perspective, the government simply gives somebody a badge, a uniform, and a gun and says, now you have authority, even though you did not earn it. They forget that police officers have to complete training, submit to authority, and in theory, they have to be mentally fit for that type of work. The police impersonator is someone who has some of the components seen in normal police officers, like excitement-seeking, assertiveness, a desire to dominate, rigid thinking, and subclinical psychopathy, but they're also missing a few characteristics. For example, they don't have the social skills or insight that most police officers would have. Many police impersonators qualify as having antisocial personality disorder and or narcissistic personality disorder. This is not surprising given their behavior. We see repeated criminality, pathological lying, recklessness, impulsivity, and a disregard for safety, as well as a sense of entitlement, arrogance, envy, fantasies of power, and grandiosity. In addition, it's not unusual to see other comorbidity, like obsessive-compulsive personality disorder. This kind of explains the rigidity and overinvestment in laws, rules, and order. We see paranoid personality disorder, substance use disorder, intermittent explosive disorder, which explains the short temper, ADHD, and delusional disorder, which could explain why they keep believing something that is clearly not true. The social awkwardness components often lead to romantic rejection. When combined with psychopathy and a tendency to dominate, this can result in sexual behavior that is aggressive or inappropriate. One thing I find interesting from my clinical experience, interacting with a few people who would qualify as police impersonators, is they often believe they have a good understanding of the law and their interpretation of it is very strict, which is consistent with, as I mentioned, the obsessive compulsive personality features. It's like they believe everyone should follow the law to the letter, but they don't expect laws to apply to them because they believe they are special. They have a position of authority.
Often, police impersonators try to find jobs that they believe approximate police work. They might work as a security guard, an armored car driver, a bouncer, a crossing guard, a private investigator, any type of job where they can express authority and dominance. And of course, usually these impersonators get excluded from actual law enforcement positions. So they kind of take what's available. Usually in these jobs, their employers characterize them as overzealous, fanatical, and enthusiastic. When they work in these jobs, they often say their position qualifies them as law enforcement, and they take special pride in any type of insignia, equipment, or uniform associated with the job. They may buy the same make and model of motor vehicles that the police departments buy, for example, a Dodge Charger, Dodge Durango, Chevy Impala, and Chevy Tahoe. Years ago, they would have been more interested in something like a Ford Crown Victoria or Chevrolet Caprice. They modify them to look like police vehicles, for example, putting small hubcaps on them and mounting a searchlight right above the driver door mirror. Sometimes they actually buy used police vehicles, like at an auction, vehicles that were retired by police departments. These are almost always in bad shape. They spend a lot of time idling, and they're driven quite hard. These impersonators also overstate relationships with real police officers. I saw a situation once where an impersonator said he was best friends with a particular police officer. I found out that the officer had arrested him several times, and that was the limit of their contact. I guess it's just what best friends do. Impersonators strike me as people who would have an uncomfortably long conversation with incoming telemarketing callers. Like the telemarketer would call and say, I want to talk to you about your car's warranty or something like that. And the impersonator would say, I really feel a connection with you. You want to go out on a date? I can pick you up in my Dodge Charger. I mentioned before the lack of insight. I think this is a critical component here. No matter how much they are punished, they believe they are the victims. They believe that people have churned on them. They cannot see themselves as others see them. One important note from a clinical perspective, confrontations between real police officers and impersonators are particularly dangerous because here you have two people who do not want to back down and who may have elevated levels of psychopathy, even if the police officer's level is subclinical. This brings us to the next question. Is it only police officers or do people also impersonate other occupations? Impersonation occurs across many different professions. I've seen people who impersonated attorneys, accountants, firefighters, mental health counselors, physicians, and military veterans. It is important to distinguish impersonation from simply being bad at what you do. For example, it wouldn't be accurate to say Owen Wilson impersonates an actor, Phil McGraw impersonates a mental health professional, or Dr. Evil impersonates a physician. A person can be bad at their job and still not qualify as an impersonator. This has been True Crime Psychology and Personality from Ars Longa Media. This content is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Ars Longa Vita Brevis. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.